And so we started this series with talking about how asking the question, can you see the kingdom? Do you believe that it's for now? We see that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he lists these other things like give us the food that we need, help us to forgive those as you've forgiven us. They're all now words. And so the kingdom of heaven is something that is at hand. It's here, it's tangible, it's something I can grasp, not some distant thing for whenever Jesus decides to show back up again. There is this part of us that is waiting for the fulfillment of, of the kingdom, where everything looks like the kingdom, clearly. But in the meantime, we get to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, declaring his message and praying and bringing the kingdom to taste and touch right now on the earth. This morning, though, as I'm praying about the kingdom of God, I feel like we need to look at a few aspects of what is it? What is it built on? And how can we carry this thing practically because if we just speak in abstract terms, we'll all kind of be like clueless. Like, what, is it, what do I actually need to do? Like that kind of thing. I would say this. Let me first give this disclaimer. The Bible doesn't give us checklists and to-do lists. If you notice when he heals the blind, he does it multiple ways. There's not like this is the how-to method to cast out demons. He does it differently every time. There are ways that we can apply Scripture to us. There are ways that we can look at how he healed and apply it to us, but there's not like a to-do list. Make sense? So when I say the practical, the bringing the kingdom, I'm not going to print out some spreadsheet for you to step one, step two. But there are fundamentals that we need to embrace. Make sense? You guys guys okay with this? Good? Um, I want to look at a couple passages. I'm kind of just going to jump around here a little bit this morning. Matthew chapter 5 It's where we see this Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read briefly to you one of the verses. And it starts off with blessed. You guys have heard this? Blessed are the... Yes, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of blesseds. But I want to look at one this morning. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Romans 12 tells us to live peacefully, in harmony with one another. Whenever possible, we are to live peacefully. Romans chapter 14. This is the verse that I really want to hang on this morning. Romans chapter 14 says this, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14 if you would. If you don't have a Bible, the one in the pew in front of you is a gift that you can have. But Romans chapter 14, it's talking about passing judgment on each other. This whole thing is about some people view different days as holy days to be observed. Other people view certain foods. Like, so some people are vegetarians because they don't think that meat is holy because of the sacrifices involved with certain, certain ways that they were prepared. Sometimes they were prepared certain ways. Um, so there's a lot of confusion. And so Paul here is trying to address this issue. And he says to them, like, hey, let's not make this an issue. Let's not cause each other to stumble. If one thinks this day is holy, let them think that day is holy. It's not a big deal. This, if they want to drink this, they can drink this. If they want to eat that, they can eat that. But if they think it's wrong, don't start a fight about it. Let's not sit here and argue about food and drink. And he says the kingdom of God is not food or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's the context for this verse. So if he says, if Paul is telling us that the kingdom of God is those three things, I really, this morning, I felt in my heart that we should look at that middle one this morning, peace. 
What does it mean if the kingdom of God is peace? And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they're called sons of God. What does that look like for us? Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. I told you I'd be all over the place a little bit this morning. Luke chapter 9. You guys still with me? You good? Luke chapter 9. We're not going to read through all this here. We're just going to kind of um, highlight a few things. So and you, you probably have headings in your Bible in front of you for each little passage a little bit. So we see around verse 10, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? A lot of us have heard this story before. And then we go to Luke 8, uh, verse 9, or chapter 9, 18, uh, that Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, right? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, right? So there's this feeding of the 5,000. There's this confession of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Then Jesus foretells his own death, right? Verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and killed and on the third day be raised. And then, verse 23, and he said, Take up your cross. This is, this is the, take up your cross and follow me. So he does this massive miracle, this feeding of the 5,000. There's a confession of who he, he is. Then Jesus tells, Hey, look, this is how great I am. I'm going to die. And they're confused by this. And then he says, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. You're going to have to suffer a little bit. And then, then we have the next section. It's the transfiguration. Jesus literally is transformed in front of three of their eyes. And they see him in his fullness of his glory. They see this transfiguration moment that I can't even begin to grasp or describe. But apparently it was pretty awesome because they wanted to build like a monument to it. Right? And Jesus is like, that's not the point. And then the next thing that we see, on the next day, this is verse 37, the next day when they had come down to the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out. And this is where he heals a boy from a demon, an unclean spirit, some kind of spirit. He heals this kid. And it says in verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. So they're amazed again. So there's this, there's this, do you see this path here of recognizing who he is? He sent him saying, I'm going to suffer. You will have to suffer as well. Then more miracles, this transfiguration. There's a lot of glory happening here day after day. This is a pretty cool week if you're a disciple, right? Verse, verse 43. And they were amazed, they were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So Jesus once again tells them, hey, I'm going to die, and they're confused. Like, what are you talking about? And an argument arose among them as to which of them is the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning in their hearts, took a child and put it by his side and said, Whoever receives a child in, the name, in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is the least among you, is, is the one who is great. So all these crazy things happen. They see Jesus in his glory. They recognize who he is. He, could, he tells them, hey, I'm about to die. They're confused. They're like, hey, which one of us is the best in your kingdom? Which, which one of us do you like the most? Which one of us are you going to give most power to? They're missing the point completely of everything that he's just done, everything that they, Peter's even confessed, they're still missing the point. And then here, 
let's, let's keep going, because this is, this is a crazy buildup here. I, w- I want you to see these two chapters. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, Do not try to stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So they're like, hey, which one of us is the best? Hey, that guy cast out a demon, and he's not part of us, so we should probably stop him, right? Jesus is like, what are, you, what are you even, what are you doing? Don't, he's not against us. He's casting out, let him go. Like, what, are you, what are you trying to make this about? Our little clan, right? And then the next thing, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go up to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. And he went, and he entered the village of the Samaritans. And to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. So, hey Jesus, do you want us to stop that guy who's casting out demons? No, they're not against us. Hey Jesus, do you want us to bring fire down and destroy the Samaritans because they don't receive you? Rebuke you. I can imagine, it says, and they turned and went to another village. I can imagine this walk to the other village. James and John are just like, man, we're stupid right now. He just, we still are, something's missing here. They didn't receive him. We wanted to burn him. And Jesus said, no, I don't get it. Like, this is real life happening. And this is like a, this scenario, this, you see the picture playing of if you're a disciple, all these things have just happened where Jesus is portraying a message of who he is and the kingdom he's bringing, the authority that he has, and they keep saying, hey, do you want us to stop that guy? Do you want us to burn them? Well, who's going to be the best in your kingdom? How much authority are you going to give me? How much rule can I bring? Verse 57, next verse. And as they were going along the road, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have air, or of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, in this journey, am I, am I losing? Are you guys good still? I know this is, I'm trying to give you a lot here this morning. It's, it's in my heart. They want to burn the Samaritans. He rebukes them for this. And then he tells them about the cost right, right here. And then the next passage, he, sa- he says it's going to be a hard thing to follow me. You're gonna ha- it's going to be hard for you. You're going to have to, you can't look back at all these other things and still bring the kingdom. You have to look at the call of the kingdom and not your own family, not all these little issues. You have to look at my kingdom. You have to count this as a sacrificial life, knowing the kingdom. And then he appoints 72. The Lord appoint- after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's 72. 72, and he says, the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs among the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, 
It will return to you and remain in the house, the same house. Eat and, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go down from the house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I want to stop there. That's where we're going to stop. Jesus says, you're going to have to count a pretty significant cost to understand my kingdom. And he sends out 72 with no money, no bags, no nothing, no extra shoes, maybe not even shoes. We're not really sure what he meant by no sandals. Maybe they're walking barefoot. We don't know. But he sends them out to heal the sick. And he says, let your peace be on the house that you're in. Bring your peace. And if they don't receive the spirit of peace, the son of peace, then that peace comes back to you. And if that village doesn't receive the son of peace, they don't receive the gospel that you bring, you shake off the dust of that town and walk away. It's literally separating yourself from a rejection of the gospel of Christ, the peace of the kingdom. He's saying, you get, you 72, go bring the kingdom. Go heal the sick and let them know the kingdom is at hand. Point out real quick there. It's not my main focus, but the kingdom of God is healing the sick. That's a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And he says it's at hand. Let me say this. God did not bring the kingdom at hand and over the last 2,000 years slowly bring the kingdom back to himself. Let me, the healing the sick is a part of the kingdom now. It's not lifted away. That's a side note. Jesus tells them, look, you get to go take my peace as a representation of my kingdom every house you go to. And if they don't receive it, okay. Take it with you. <laughs> you don't call down fire on them. You don't call down death and destruction. They are already in their death and destruction. It talks in the next verses here about how it was better for Tyre and Siren for them. Because of the rejection. He, he's saying they're already in the rejection. Let, me ha- let God handle the judgment. You don't handle the judgment. You take your peace with you to the next place and you heal the sick and declare the kingdom. Does that make sense? We try to make... Let me, let me go back to that passage about the, don't take anything with you. Because that seems like a strange verse to look at. What is this? He's just telling them to walk around like with nothing into the different villages? He's telling them, basically, I've called you 72 to do whatever I've asked you to do. You don't need to prepare anything. It's not about what they could prepare. I feel like what we do, when we think about bringing the kingdom of God, we sit around in our nice little cubicles or in our little desk at home or on our couch reading our Bible, trying to think of all the tools that we need to put in our tool belt to start doing the kingdom one day. And we spend more time packing our ministry bags than actually going and doing the work of the Lord. Make sense? You don't need, if God has commissioned you to bring the kingdom to this city, you don't need to go and get a resume. You don't. You don't need to go to a theological school, even though I love theology, I'm studying theology, it's cool. You don't need to have that before you go and bring the kingdom. You don't need to go sit under the best lecturers and philosophers or theologers or whatever that word is. I don't know. You don't need to do that. You simply need to have the call of God and be willing to count the cost and know that he has called you. You don't look back at your family. You don't look back at all the other things. You just go with the gospel. 
you carry your peace and you proclaim healing to the sick. Make sense? This is an empowering word that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here and those other guys with them, the followers of him. They weren't part of the 12, but there's 72 who weren't even part of the 12. And he tells them, go. And he says, I don't even have enough laborers for all the harvest that can come in here. I would say the same thing is very true in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We can look out and we can see that the harvest is ripe. That there are people who are desperately in need of the gospel and all they need is somebody to come and harvest them with the gospel. But they need us to walk in peace. They need us to bring the kingdom that actually reaps the lost. Not this mentality that we find James and John had when somebody rejects them. Can we, can we burn them, God? Can we burn them now? Is it a good time to call down fire? So often that is the message of the church in America, Right? You don't receive our message, our gospel? Let's burn them. Smite them, O oh Lord. Destroy them with your wrath. You know? Yeah. That's not the gospel at all. Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus didn't come to, like, call down judgment. He came to bring peace. He came to bring joy. He came to bring righteousness. God will deal with those who don't receive the message. It's not our place. It's not our call to be these vigilante Christian superheroes pointing at sin and calling down judgment. That's not our commission at all. You say, well, what about Matthew chapter 10 where it says, Jesus says this, he says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace, not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or his mother that, uh, more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter is more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That might seem really confusing, right? You're like, wait a minute, Jesse. You're preaching kingdom, peace. And Jesus just said, I come to bring peace with a sword. Uh, that sounds a lot like wrath. This whole passage here, if you read that passage in the context, isn't like Jesus is saying, hey, I don't, don't want to bring peace. He's saying, my peace is going to bring division. My, my presence will cause big fights in your family. There will be people who reject you and cause issues in your house, issues in your family, issues at work. If you're a Christian and you're vocal about it, you will be persecuted at work. It will happen. It probably will happen within your own family. Maybe not your wife and kids, but probably some uncle or cousin thinks you're insane and hates you, right? Uh, Jesus isn't contradicting himself here. The Gospels don't contradict. The word peace there is, is used to he's saying, I'm not coming here to fix the family wounds. I'm not here to make sure that you all get along in your family. I will bring division in that area. But when you go out, you bring peace everywhere possible. That's why Romans says, everywhere possible, bring peace. Declaring peace of the gospel will bring division. division. Let me explain. That same word peace we also find in 1 Corinthians 14, which is about the gifts of the Spirit. And here it's a church that's going insane with the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody's doing their own thing. And he sets this orderly guideline. Okay, here's what the gifts should look like in a church. Why? 
Why? He says, because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, right? The reason for those guidelines is so that it, do, it removes pride and vanity out of that service. What you were having is a bunch of people who were like, look at my spiritual gifts. It was, remember we joked about this a few months ago. It was a spiritual gift talent show. Everybody thought they were the main star. And, and, and he says, no, 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 no. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. My peace is there. So the same, when he says, I'm not bringing peace with a sword, he's saying, it's going to cause splits when you proclaim me, but at the same time, everything I do is about bringing peace. Everything I do, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the key right there. Our goal is not, our goal in this thing to bring peace or to bring the kingdom of God to Scranton cannot be about our own form of justice. It has to be about us walking in love and peace everywhere we go. My desire for this city is that they would see a good, loving Father, just like we talked about this morning, who has forgiven us of our iniquities, who's cleansed us from all unrighteousness, right? And we get to walk and live in that peace. And if people reject that and don't receive that, that's their thing. It's not my job to point out how they're wrong and argue with them and fight with them. Peace is not defined by making your way known to everybody. I have to ask this this morning. I know this might feel like a heavy, a heavy message after especially how joyful this morning was. But I have to ask, what does your home reflect? When you walk into your house, do you carry peace with it? When you walk into your work, do you carry peace? If we are going to be people who bring the kingdom into this city, we have to be people who are known for our peace and not for our strong anti-opinions of whatever. We are supposed to be known by our, what, what does John say over and over again? Known by our love. And you, love and peace, they go hand in hand, right? When we walk in that, we bring the kingdom with us. Do we carry an environment of peace or do we create a place of confusion? Do we create a home of anxiety? Do we create a, a space of negativity or aggression? If you don't really know the answer to that question, I would challenge you to go back and look at your Facebook posts over the last six months. Do they bring <laughs> peace and joy or do they bring animosity and strong opinions and aggression and hard words? That's, that wasn't even in my notes. I just thought of that in this. The Holy Spirit just felt, put that there. Check your Facebook statuses. Is it peace or is it anxiety and fear and, and like strong judgment? I have this in a different place in my notes. Let me tell you one of the best things in that moment. I'm jumping ahead here. Let me tell you the best things about my week last week other than my kids and like seeing the joy on their face. It was about Wednesday. I'm walking through the, I think, Epcot Center. And it's all the countries of the world, not all of them, but a lot of the countries of the world around this big pond, right, this big lake. And I'm walking through it, and it dawned on me, I have not seen one Trump or Hillary hat this entire week. This is peace. <laughs> this is beautiful. There was, I didn't hear one political statement my entire week, I didn't check out, I didn't look at Facebook other than to post my kids' pictures, and then I got off because I was so busy with other things. 
I didn't look at anybody's stuff on, on, on social media. I didn't check out the news. I just heard some of the things that happened in the news this morning in the office. And I felt peaceful all week. I walked 10 miles a day around parks, and I felt peaceful all weeks, all week. There was no argument over politics this week. And it was funny because here you have, before, before going on a trip, my wife wanted to make me a Disney shirt, like with Mickey Mouse and stuff, and says like dad or whatever, I don't know. And I said, I'm never going to wear that, Ash. Come on, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm never going to wear that. I wear my Star Wars t-shirt, yes. But I am never wearing that Mickey Mouse shirt. I get there, dudes, like 400 pounds, Mickeyed out, and they got ears on their head, right? Everywhere, everywhere. Everybody's a kid in, in Disneyland. You got, I, there was a lady, I'm not kidding, on the boat, the ferry ride with us. She had to be approaching 85, 90, wearing a Rapunzel hat, like three foot tall and long blonde hair. She was just loving her princess life, Right? And I'm not saying we live in this fairytale land, but the gospel is a gospel of peace that brings this sense of like, I'm not worried about policies or politics or who's receiving me, who's rejecting me. I'm not worried about that nonsense. I'm just focused on proclaiming the kingdom. I'm healing the sick. I'm casting out demons. I'm proclaiming the goodness of God. And if you don't receive me, I dust it off my feet and I walk away. It's what I do. I, lo- I love that about last week. A couple of weeks ago, no, actually it was the inauguration day. I got a phone call. I'm a, I'm a chaplain for the Scranton Police Department. I get a phone call from the head chaplain. Hey, you need to uniform up and come in. I'm like, what? He's like, there's protests downtown. I'm like, protests in Scranton about Trump? He's like, oh, yeah. There's going to be some protests. They got, they got a good bit of people on their Facebook saying they're going to be there. I'm like, oh, great, Facebook, thank you. Once again, one of the many blessings of Facebook. So I go downtown, and there's this anti-Trump rally, right? And it was what it was for a while. And then it, there was a little bit of a heated thing, some pushing and shoving. The police came in, they arrested some people, and then they sent us out. And I'm walking around looking like a police officer because my uniform says chaplain, but it looks very close to every other officer. And I see this lady who's like anti-Trump, whatever. And I'm not here to pick a political candidate. That's not my thing. I got Jesus. That's good enough. I'm not worried about anything else. Anyway, um, but she's got a cast and she's walking to go to the next place to protest. And she's walking. And I'm like, I'm like, so you're here to protest? She's like, yeah, yeah. I said, you're wearing a cast. And she tells me that she has this foot problem. The foot problem was literally the exact same thing that I had three years ago in my, in my ankles, where my tendons have grown and fused things together so I can't move and it hurts a lot. And she said, I just had to have surgery on it. Where they, I said, yeah, where they go in and they cut the tendons and they break the bone and they put it back together. She's like, yeah. I said, I was supposed to have the same thing. I said, actually, I was in such pain that I couldn't even make it through the doors of Walmart a couple years ago. I remember getting a quarter of the way out of my car into Walmart and having to sit down in Walmart, which is embarrassing. And I said, but I prayed, and God's healed it. I said, I might have a little achiness, but, I mean, it was severe, and I haven't had to have surgery. I said, is it okay if I pray with you? And she said, sure. So I prayed with her, and she's like, thank you for that. I said, yeah. I said, you know, I just, I, I, God healed mine. He can heal yours as well. And she's like, okay. 
Thank you. I, I think I'm going to go home now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> I met with four different protesters, and I just shared Jesus with them. I wasn't anti them. I, I under, actually understood a lot of their opinions. And then this one lady, she was probably 70 years old. And she's in her car because the rain had started and it was too much to stand out and protest, but she's still protesting. And she called me over to the window of her car and she's talking to me. And she's like, yeah, I protested against the, the Vietnam War. I protested for women's rights. I protest. So she's like a professional protester, right? <laughs> she's just giving me the list. And, and she's like, I don't understand how we could come to this place in America. And she's like, I could never be friends with anybody who voted for Trump. And I said this to her. I said, I'm a pastor. I said, my, my, my whole view is not based on Hillary or Trump. It's not, on, it's not about that. I said, and I, to be honest with you, I know most of what my congregation, a lot of people in my congregation who they voted for. And I told her, I said, our church, my church is about 50-50. She's like, are you serious? I said, yeah, and I love them all. I said, I don't care if they voted Hillary or Trump. I might disagree drastically with one or the other. I said, but that doesn't change my love for them. I said, so to say that you can't be friends with somebody who's on the other side just seems very limited. And she's like, I really appreciate you saying that to me. She's like, bless you and have a great day. And then she drove off. Not everybody's going to agree with you. This last few months in America is a prime example of that. How much more when we bring the truth, the exclusive truth of the gospel, will people come against us? Our job is not to debate and argue and force them into submission. That's why the Crusades went wrong. I don't like the word Crusades. Crusades were a dark, dark period in Christianity's past where somebody got the gospel and said, let's make everybody else get the gospel. It doesn't work that way. Jesus told his disciples, it won't work that way. It will not work that way. You carry my peace. You carry the truth of who I am, and some will love it and some will hate it. To some, it is a sweet smell. To others, it's the smell of death, right? That's what Scripture says. We get to bring that smell with us, and some will love it, some will hate it. We get to bring the kingdom here. I want to look at one more verse, if I can. Actually, two. John 14, 25. 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. This is Jesus saying this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world does not give us peace. He has given us his own personal peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I get to bring one of the foundational elements of the kingdom of God every day when we live by the Holy Spirit. We get to do that in our homes. We get to do that in our work. We get to do that everywhere in this community. We are called to bring peace, not our opinions, not our sense of justification or our sense of justice. Actually, there's a great book we have over there called um, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. It talks about the word justice, how we like to think of it, is not really what it means. Doing justice, Scripture says, is really taking care of the sick, the broken, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. That's doing justice, not coming down with the law and fighting. Make sense? That's not justice. That's not God's form of justice. His form of justice is manifesting all the tangible expressions of his kingdom. 
There's a song that we sing that says, the hymn delighting and showing mercy. That, that's a great line. That is the kingdom, delighting and showing mercy. He's slow to anger. You can bring the kingdom in any situation. Colossians 3.15, this is one of my life verses. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You and I are called to be a church, the kingdom, the body of Christ, as one body together, and it's got to be his peace that rules our hearts. Another translation says, let the peace of God be the umpire in your hearts. So basically, if there's not peace on something, there's no decision there. Whenever there's peace on it, that's the right thing. When he gives you peace, even if it feels wrong and there's peace from him, do that thing. Make sense? Scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say blessed are the law enforcers. Everybody has opinions. Everybody has their sense of justice. And I would challenge you this morning to let go of your sense of justice. Let God deal with those cities that reject him. Let God deal with the people in your life that bring about everything that's not peaceful. You be the one. You be that person at your work that brings peace. What time is it? I don't, I don't want to, okay. All right, I, I'm, I'm not going to say what, okay. I will say it. You guys are like, what was he going to say? I might as well say it. Okay. How many of you guys have heard the, the phrase, um, turn the other cheek, right? And, okay, let me explain that. So there's three things that happen in that passage when Jesus is saying those things. Um, he says, if somebody hits you, I've already preached this before, but I'm going to recap it real quickly. If somebody hits you in the right cheek, turn the other cheek. And what that is, if, if I would hit you in your right cheek, I would have to hit you with my left hand to smack you in that cheek. And my left hand in that culture was the sign of lesser than. I wouldn't touch anybody with my left hand unless I thought they were a slave or somebody beneath me in status. So to hit somebody with that hand was a double insult. Jesus says, go ahead and turn the other cheek. So if you turn your other cheek toward me, if I have to hit you in your left cheek, I have to use my right hand. So in that moment, I'm forced with the decision to either hit you with the hand that said we are equals now instead of when I just insulted you saying you were lesser. Make sense? I, have to, I can either hit you or I can walk away from the situation. The same thing is true with the next passage. He says, if somebody asks you to carry your load a mile, you carry it too. In that culture, any Roman guard could come up to any Jewish person. If I'm walking this way, he can come up to me and say, I want you to carry my stuff a mile that way. And I have to, by law, listen to him and carry it up to a mile. By law, though, he could not make me or he cannot even let me carry it longer than a mile. So Jesus says, if he asks you to carry something a mile, carry it too. So in that moment, when I begin to pass that first mile mark, and in humility, I keep walking, now that soldier has a decision to make. He can either beg me to stop and realize that he just bought, brought dominance on my life, or he, or he can continue to let me go, and then he gets in trouble. Does it see, you see what I'm saying here? There's a third way that Jesus is giving them. It's not passive, like, let's just be beaten up and be super hu- hu- What's the word I'm looking for? Humiliated in front of everybody. It's, it's not aggr- aggression or vengeance either. It's calling that person to see what they're doing in you and bringing justice and peace to the situation. The next passage is if somebody sues, it's actually a culture of su- suing. There's a lot of suing that happened 
for property in that time. That's a whole historical thing I'm not going to get into. But if it says, if somebody asks you for your coat, go ahead and give them your next garment as well. So basically what he's saying is somebody sues you and they take off your outer garment in their lawsuit against you, which was common. Don't just give them that. Give them your undergarments. So now you're, you're walking naked, right? It seems embarrassing to you. Except in that culture, it wasn't embarrassing to you. It was embarrassing to the one who made you naked. Same way when Noah was naked, the shame wasn't on him. The shame was on those who saw him. It's a cultural thing where he says, if somebody goes ahead and sues you for everything for your coat, go ahead and let, let them see your full depravity. Let them see how, how humble they have made you. And now they are called to awaken to make a different change in their life. They're probably not going to try to sue the next person like you. They're probably going to forgive you of a debt. They're probably going to walk in peace and not some weird form of justice. We've gotten that passage mixed up where the gospel of peace is about just being punched around. That's not it either. I I feel like I have to clarify this morning. The gospel of peace is walking in truth, and those who receive it, great. Those who don't, we let God deal with that. But we call out what's right. If we see the the poor being oppressed, we see people being persecuted or victimized, we speak up. Absolutely we speak up. Make sense? I'm not saying we all just sit around Scranton passively asking for peace and like letting people be victimized. That's not what I'm saying. So we have to understand that this morning. God has called us to walk in peace, but he's also called us to walk in truth and his form of justice, which is helping the hurting and the oppressed. What would happen if God's people got rid of their own form of righteousness or self-righteousness and walked in his? What would happen if, if the church in Scranton, Pennsylvania brought peace in every situation? Who do you think companies would hire first? Us, right? I know a church in California, they literally call the church and say, hey, do you have any more students coming this year? We want to hire them. They're the best employees. That is bringing the kingdom to your city. That is walking in the peace of the gospel. Let's stand. Let's get ready for worship. If... I'm giving you a lot this morning, and I apologize if it's too much for you, but the story of the prodigal son, right? There's two sons. It's not one son, it's two. We talk about this a lot. It's a, it's a key passage in, in who I am. But we see the father's love for this son who literally said, I wish that you were dead. Give me your money so I can go do my thing. He squanders all of his wealth. He's with the pigs, and he realizes my father's servants have it better than I. So he comes back, and his father sees him, and he runs to him. The son repents and says, even your servants have it better. And the father doesn't say a word of forgiveness. He simply demonstrates forgiveness by putting a coat around him, a ring on his finger, and getting a feast ready, right? He doesn't walk in some kind of weird justice, like, well, you got to do your penance now. you got to earn your sonship back. It's just there. And then you have the older son who sees this happening, and he's angry. I've worked so hard for you. I've never gotten anything from you. Blah, 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 blah. And here you have this son of yours who goes squanders your wealth on prostitutes, and you give him a feast. And the father says, don't you know all that I have is already yours? There's a welcoming to the feast on both sides of this thing. So we can either be that self-righteous guy who's walking around in our own form of judgment, always missing the feast, or we can be the sinner, always missing the feast. Or we can be the son that gets the righteousness of God and just comes into the feast and enjoys his love and his goodness and his mercy. 
Let him love this city. Let him welcome the prodigal self-righteous and the wicked wayward son. Let him do that. Let's just bring it to our city.